the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on the second weekend of March. After the news highlights in the interview segment, my guest again this weekend is Father Brad Easterbrooks. He was, however, a deacon studying in Rome when I interviewed him for Vatican Insider just before his priestly ordination. He has such an amazing story, one that continues following his ordination, that I wanted to offer an encore, and so this weekend is part two of our conversation. This encore presentation is because I'm still experiencing issues with my back and have not been able to do a new interview. Hopefully that will change soon. Thanks for understanding. And now, some of the news highlights of the past week. Sunday, March 5th, at the Angelus, the Holy Father reflected on the day's gospel and then spoke of two recent tragedies, first asking for prayers for the many victims of a train crash in Greece, including young students returning to university from a long holiday weekend for the start of Orthodox Lent. He also expressed sorrow for a migrant tragedy where 70 people drowned when their flimsy boat broke apart on a shoal off the coast of Cutro in Italy's Calabria region. Francis decried the tragedy, saying, May human traffickers be stopped. May they not continue to throw away the lives of so many innocent people. Monday, March 6th. Welcoming a group from St. Mary's Seminary in Cleveland, Ohio, Pope Francis encouraged the faculty and seminarians to deepen their listening to the Lord, walking together in communion, and giving witness to their faith, key elements that mark their seminary formation and the Church's synodal journey. The group is celebrating the 175th anniversary of St. Mary's. In his address, Pope Francis gave thanks to God for the great number of priests formed by the seminary over almost two centuries. Tuesday, March 7th, Pope Francis appointed five new members to his Council of Cardinal Advisors on Tuesday, including Synod Organizer Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich and Canadian Cardinal Gérald Lacroix. Francis also named as members Brazilian Cardinal Sergio da Roca, Spanish Cardinal Juan José Omela Omela, and Cardinal Fernando Vergés Alzaga, President of the Governorate of Vatican City State. They are all now members, along with Hollerick and Lacroix, and previous members, Cardinals Pietro Parolin, Sean O'Malley, Oswald Gracias, and Fridolin Ambongo of Kinshasa. Also Tuesday, a papal curagraph gave new statutes to Eeyore, the Institute for the Works of Religion, also known as the Vatican Bank. These statutes bring it in line with the new apostolic constitution, Predicate Evangelium. The governing structure is simplified with new roles clearly defined for the various management offices to avoid duplication. New norms were issued regarding conflicts of interest and management changed from a collegial body to one led by a single director. Wednesday, March 8th. At the general audience in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on apostolic zeal, noting that each baptized person plays his or her own unique role in the Church's mission, 
regardless of position in the church or level of instruction in the faith. The proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Father stressed, is not the task of isolated individuals, but a communal service to the church's apostolic faith, which must be passed down in its integrity to every generation. The Pope also called for applause for women, saying they deserve it, while praising their tender hearts and ability to construct a more humane society. On International Women's Day, said Francis, I thank all women for their commitment to building a more humane society through their ability to grasp reality with a creative eye and a tender heart. This is a privilege of women alone, a special blessing for all the women in the square, and a round of applause for women. They deserve it. Thursday, March 9th, Pope Francis addressed participants in the Chair of Welcome Conference, sponsored by the Fraterna Domus Association, and he encouraged their efforts in promoting a culture of inclusion and welcome in order to build a better future for all. And its training course that brings together teachers and academics from different cultural and religious backgrounds to provide formation on how to offer hospitality to those in need. Also Thursday, Pope Francis greeted participants in an interreligious dialogue meeting between the Holy See and Palestine. He recalled the universal value of Jerusalem for the three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Jerusalem was the setting for many of the events of Jesus' life, he said, and it was also where the church was born as the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples, sending them into the world to proclaim the message of salvation. The Pope reiterated the appeal he made in 2019 with the King of Morocco, as he called for Jerusalem to be considered by everyone as the common patrimony of humanity, and especially of the followers of the three monotheistic religions, as a place of encounter and as a symbol of peaceful coexistence. Also Thursday, Pope Francis met with representatives of ENIL, Italy's Insurance Association for Industrial Accidents, and he thanked them for their commitment to building a society in which nobody is left behind. Life has no price, stated Francis, explaining that among the consequences of not investing in safety in the workplace is an increase in accidents. A person's health cannot be exchanged for a few extra euros or someone's individual interest. Francis urged those present to look into the face of all forms of disability that arise, and not only the physical ones, but also the psychological, cultural, and spiritual ones. Friday, March 10th, the Pope received the bishops of Rwanda on their ad limina visit. He also received Ayatollah Sayed Abu al-Hassan Nawab, an Iranian professor and cleric who currently serves as Chancellor of the University of Religions and Denominations. Well, those are the week's news highlights, but now stay here for my interview with Father Brad Easterbrooks, who, as I said earlier, was a deacon at the moment of our interview when he was at the Pontifical North American College. And by the way, have a beautiful weekend. She was a mystic and reformer who died at the age of 33. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Catherine of Siena accomplished something no one thought possible. She convinced Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome 
after the popes had lived in France for almost the whole of the 14th century. They've been there ever since. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Are you ready to spread your wings? Wings is the weekly newsletter that's packed with exclusive news, program information, features, and updates of all that's going on at the Global Catholic Network. To sign up, go to EWTN.com, click subscribe, enter your name and email address, and you'll start getting your wings every week. Get your wings today. It's the weekly newsletter from EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Reverend Brad Easterbrooks, a deacon at the North American College in Rome. Last week in part one, we learned of his pre-seminary days, work at a consulting firm and on political campaigns, law school, then the Navy as a lawyer for JAG, and then the path straightened out and led to the priesthood. And this week, we look at Brad's wish to spend his priesthood as a military chaplain, life in a parish that spans the globe. Now, I want to move on to what I mentioned at the early part of of this, talking about your priesthood and your desire to be a military chaplain. Let's let's talk about that aspect of it, because it's wonderful. would love to. So I'm what's called a co-sponsored seminarian with my diocese, which is the Diocese of San Diego, and the Archdiocese for the Military Services. So what does that mean? That means that I'm from San Diego, so I grew up in a town called Carlsbad, California. I went to Carlsbad High School. My mom and dad retired to Oceanside. My sister's in Solana Beach. We know Carlsbad. <laughs> and my grandmother, my grandparents were from Oceanside. So, uh, and in fact, I was born in Oceanside, so it's, it's right next oh, door. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so I'm from San Diego, and, and so... I entered seminary formation with the Diocese of San Diego. And what that means is the Diocese of San Diego is also going to be my incarnating diocese. Sure. What that means is I'll be a, I have to be a priest of a local of church. Of some place. <laughs> of a place, yes. So, and I'll be... It, religious priests are priests of their religious community or religious order. And diocesan priests, which is what I'll be, are priests of a diocese, of a place. Uh, and so I'll be ordained by the Bishop of San Diego for the Diocese of San Diego, which means that will be my home. But uh, there's an agreement between the Bishop of San Diego and the Archbishop for the military services, which is its own archdiocese. So after a few years in San Diego, I'm going to be loaned to the the Navy, uh, and I'll receive my faculties from the Archbishop for the military services to serve in the Navy. And that will be for a period of time. It could be a few years or it could be uh, for a career in the, in the Navy, which, which I've already started because I, have, I already have that time as a Navy JAG. Um, and I'll serve as a military chaplain in, in the Navy. And then at the end of that process, I'll return to my home diocese and, and continue working as a priest in my home diocese. So, and I think just to let our, our listeners know that the, it's called the Military Ordinariate. The military ordinariate is not, it's an archdiocese in a way. A diocese or archdiocese has territory. See, when you say the archdiocese of New York, it literally has territorial limits, or San Diego. 
But a military ordinariate is wherever the military are and the service uh, of the priesthood is. So it can be one day in Japan. It can also be at an American base. But it's not a territorially limited archdiocese. That's right. It, it's it's very unique because um, the, uh, the way that the um, the church law works normally is that the, the diocese is of a territory. And th- this archdiocese uh, it has jurisdiction over people. Yeah, so right. to, to use a legal term, jurisdiction, sure. it, it has, it, so it's the archbishop for the military is the shepherd over people. So wherever they happen to be, uh, then he is, he's their, their bishop, their shepherd. And so it doesn't, it's not just the military members. So a military member who's on active duty falls under this archdiocese, but also their immediate family members. So the right. spouse, the children, uh, and then also federal government employees who are serving overseas. So if, if uh, you know, diplomats who are serving abroad and their family members, they all fall under this. So it actually constitutes millions of people. So it's a very large archdiocese. Huge. And, and then the territory, the territorial jurisdictions expanse is almost the whole world. Wherever these people are, and it's hundreds of countries, it's almost every country, that's where the archbishop of the military is, is going to have... Um, responsibility uh, for a flock of people. And so in the Navy, uh, which is a subset of that, I'll be a priest uh, of, uh, as a Navy chaplain, I'll be a Catholic Navy chaplain, but my uh, my flock will be wherever yeah. the Navy happens to be yeah. and and where their families happen to be. One of the things that I didn't really know until I was in the military myself, and especially because I was in a practicing Catholic discerning the priesthood, the Navy and and the families and the need for this type of service uh, is related to the fact that when someone joins the military, they have a spouse, they have a family. When they get stationed overseas, their whole family often is going with them sure. to a, a military installation overseas. When they're out on a ship, their family's still back you know, the on base, the base yeah. or, or near the base, uh, relying on, on the base community. And so the, the Catholic chaplain is, is really responsible for a parish that has been moved overseas. And, and so, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm currently volunteering the, as a deacon to help serve at the, the naval installation in Naples, which has... Uh, so many thousands of people that they have their own mall on the base. They have a vet. They have a hospital. Yep. They have everything you need for a town, uh, because it is a town. It's an American town in the middle of in in the middle of Italy. And so I had a friend, excuse me, who was um, from Camp Pendleton. She was being transferred to Gaeta because she was going to have to teach the Navy people down there in Naples how to set up field hospitals. It was kind of like right. reminiscence of, of MASH, of the days of, <laughs> uh, of MASH. And so I went down to Naples and stayed um, in uh, Linda's apartment, and the whole building was, was all Navy people. And I really got to see a lot of the structures and places that you're mm-hmm. talking about. It's a, it's a city within a city, really. It, it is. They have a track with a high school with a football team. You know, they have everything because there's kids. Yeah. And and so um, so when the Navy chaplain, the Catholic chaplain, is serving a, a community, which is much like a parish, it's not just that there are these active duty members who need, you know, they, they have the right to a faith life, but they have their whole families there. And so the only way there's going to be a confirmation program 
or a CCD program or a First Communion program for all of these kids is if there's going to be a Catholic priest who's going to sure. help run it. And, and so I saw that need personally when I was overseas in Japan and when I was on a ship. So I, I was on a ship, not for, I wasn't ever ship's company. I was always working in a, a litigation setting, which meant that I was going to be near where there was a courtroom. Sure. But I, would, you know, I did actually help out um, every once in a while on a ship. So when I was on a ship, well, how was I going to go to Sunday Mass? There's thousands of sailors on a ship. When a ship's deployed, uh, there might be 5,000 sailors on that aircraft carrier with 10 ships you know, associated with that aircraft carrier sure. who also have another 5,000 sailors. So of that 10,000, you might have 3,000 Catholics. Yeah. Well, how are they going to have Sunday Mass? Only if there's a priest out with them. And then at the naval base in Yokosuka, Japan, I got there and there was no priest, despite the fact that there were thousands of Catholics. Wow. And, uh, and so I experienced firsthand what it's like, not just to be a Catholic who wants to go to Mass and receive the sacraments, who wants to go to confession, who are, you know, because in Japan, which is a 1% Christian country yeah. and even less than that are Catholic, the only way I was going to get confession is if I was going to find a priest who could speak English, because I didn't speak sure. Japanese. Sure. And it, it turned out that that was an hour and a half away. I, I found an, an English-speaking priest an hour and a half away. So if I wanted confession, I had to get on a train and, and, and ride the train an hour and a half to find an English-speaking priest wow. to go to confession or to go to Mass. And so what I saw, because of the gap in Japan, and we eventually did get a priest, but because of that gap, this was one for one. If, if there's not a priest there, so if you, if you lose a priest, if you take a priest out of ministry because because he's retiring, because he's, he becomes ill, wh whatever the reason is. All of the ministry that he's able to accomplish goes away. It's, it's not wow. like, you know, here in Rome, it's very easy. If, if one church shuts down, there's, there's almost over 900 others uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nearby. But there isn't another church 10 minutes down the road. If, exactly. Without that priest there, there's nobody. And, and now the CCD program goes away. The youth group goes away. This, this is a part of my discernment, but the ship pulled in and uh, a man by the name of then Father Coffey, Father Joe Coffey, got off that ship and he, de he decided to spend his vacation time from the ship celebrating Mass at the, the chapel on base because he knew of the, of the need. I remember sitting, sitting in the pew, very excited that we had a, a, a Navy chaplain who was there to assist. His homily began with the words, let me tell you the story about how I discerned a call to the priesthood at the age of 30. Wow. And I was 30 when he said that. And so I, I knew that God was showing me through the need of military chaplains, of Catholic military chaplains, that, that God was going to use that need to show me that, he, that I was perhaps being called, not just to Catholic priesthood, but also to military chaplaincy to help fill that need. Eventually, the, the base did get a permanent Navy chaplain, Father Leto, of a Filipino background, but he had joined the Navy decades before, and so he, uh, he ended up help, helping me, uh, you know, discern that path. So, so I think through this, you know, what if, what if I didn't have that Navy chaplain to help me discern this as a man who, who wanted to, you know, consider the priesthood? It, it just so many things that God puts together sure. to help make sure that, um, that I can hear his voice. The chaplaincy I'm most mm -hmm. familiar with is the one um, at Pearl Harbor, 
because I have very, I've been to Hawaii 10 times. I have very good friends. They're retired Navy. But Jan works on the music and for all the masses there. And so I, when I'm in Hawaii, I attend mass on the base. And I know it can be dreadful when the priest is called away. It was like, okay, where do we get a priest? In this case, they're lucky because they're uh, on, you know, Hawaii and there are other parishes. So you can have a priest come and say the, the Sunday mass at at 10 or 10.30, whatever time it is. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the base I'm most uh, familiar with, you know. So you were talking about uh, the thousands of people on a ship and, and you know, how many are Catholic. I've read statistics and been told this by Navy people, too, that in the U.S. military branches, not just the Navy, mm-hmm. it's an average of 25 to 27% that are Catholics, which and- I found amazing. Yes, and and uh, and even a little more than that. And I, I don't have the exact figure with me, but it, the military is is slightly more Catholic than the American population at large, um, because about a quarter of the United States yeah. is Catholic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the military is a little more Catholic than average. And then the pra- the rate of practicing Catholics among that number is actually a little higher than than the American experience as well. There's something about you know the the disruption in life when when a family is is taken from wherever they're from and then they're moved somewhere you know and that could be somewhere in the United States or it's somewhere overseas or it's wherever it is and they don't so they don't have their home community anymore right. so where does that community come from what's been so touching to me especially you know what I've what I've seen both in my experience when I was in the military and then in a huge way recently at the Naples base in Italy the, where that community comes from is the faith community. Sure. Because, because all of these families are different. They come from very different backgrounds, the South, the North, the West. But they have one thing in common, their faith in Jesus Christ, their faith in, in the Eucharist. And so it draws them together and it creates this, this community that uh, that would be, you know, the envy of, of many parishes, uh, you know, in the U.S., um, in, in some ways, because it has to be that way, because they're, that's what draws them all together on the weekends. And the military will often give what they call liberty periods, uh, so, so families can travel on sure. weekends without having to put in for vacation time. Um, and so a lot of families will travel, but what's so fascinating to me is the number of families that often will just stay back because they they know that they're going to be served by uh, a military chaplain sure. that they'll they'll be able to have that Catholic community, um, you know. So their their vacation, their their time of recreation is actually to then go go to church on the base to spend time with 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 us deacons and other seminarians. But see, this this is what I think is so wonderful um, when you and I talked briefly about your experience, um, you know, in Naples. The fact that, I mean, you're not even a priest yet in just a few more months, but you already have this amazing background and awareness of the needs of military families, uh, uh, the awareness that faith is the thread in the tapestry that, you know, binds them all together. So you're already going to bring an enormous awareness of this to your, your first responsibility the first time you were assigned to be the, the Navy chaplain. Exactly. I'll be a Navy chaplain who relied on Navy chaplaincy before. So I'll have, I'll have sure. experienced it from both ends. And, you know, 
I, uh, I was able to preach the homily at the Christmas Eve Mass this last Christmas, and it was as a deacon. And I was reflecting on this in prayer when I was down there over the Christmas period, that I had spent um, so many holidays, so many feast days on a military base as a parishioner, you know, um, sitting in a pew um, away from my family. And and so I, I knew what they were all experiencing, you know, especially because even if it's if they have their family with them, they don't have their whole family with them. And now I was going to be able to minister to them. And and that was a moment, of, you know, where God said, see, this is where it's leading. You get to do all of these things in service to my church. Some people think of celibacy or giving one's life you know, to the faith is this, this terrible thing. Like, how, how could you ever possibly be happy? Well, yes, there is a sacrifice element to this. There, sure. is, there is an aspect to this where I'm giving something up. But in giving one thing up, God's giving me this life that's For different. every challenge, you're going to have a great and, joy. And, and the main thing is you're going to know that God is, he's got your back. That's and, right. And there's true joy in doing God's will and and there's you know this is the paradox of Christianity. There's joy in service. There's joy in giving. Yeah. St. Paul asks us to account for our joy. It's supposed to be in our faith, and we're asked to. People want to know why we're joyful. Well, it's because of our faith. We may have other things going on in life that give us joy, but when you get down to the common denominator, you know it it, it certainly is the faith. That's right. And he Paul was someone who suffered a lot. He was flogged. He was thrown out you know and then he eventually was 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 executed for his faith but he constantly had this joy you know for me to live as christ and to die as gain so it for him it was all gain it was all yeah. you know living in the joy and the love of god brad as our time runs down i just want to remind our our listeners if you're in san diego you know you may be meeting a priest someday father brad easterbrooks in a few months anyway you can say, yeah, I heard you on Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Now, what's ahead of you just these next few weeks then, or months before you're ordained? Well, you know, it's it's February right now, but we're still in finals from the fall semester. So there's a, sh- oh, a, sh- uh, a shifted schedule here because of, of when the summer ends. So so first it's going to be finals. And I, I'm studying for a what's called a licentiate or a license. Oh, right in dogmatic theology at the Gregorian University. The one thing you must have in life is a PhD. Did you know that? I didn't. My dad gave me mine. I was so lucky. PhD, passion, hard work, and dreams. (laughs) That's good. If that is part of your military chaplaincy and just your life as a priest, then you have it made. That's right. You really do. So I'll finish this year, and I have have additional studies and, um, and, and time spent at the seminary, and then I'll fly home to be ordained a priest in June. Well, I'm going to say to you what my mother wrote for many years as she signed emails, God sit on your shoulder. So wherever you are, Brad Easterbrooks, soon to be Father Brad Easterbrooks, God sit on your shoulder. Thank you so much. God bless. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, Go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.